Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hope your day's been awesome. Uh, There's been uh, this thing going on the last couple weeks here, if you've been at FBC. uh, Two weeks ago, uh, I started off our Share Your Story series, and I had just, I thought, kind of very sincerely and generously decided to sweeten the deal by saying there would be donuts at the end of my message. And then Doug, last week, if you were here, you know, kind of turned it into a, kind of a competitive, I'd say maybe almost childish thing where he's like, oh, donuts, I'm giving you guys a whole meal, right? And so I just want to be very clear. Uh, I've chosen to be uh, the bigger person, take the high road here. There's no food for you today, okay? Um, so I'm not going to stoop to that level. If you could pray for Doug, that'd be good. Um, that being said, while we talk here this morning, uh, I just want you to know that we have volunteers removing all your vehicles and replacing them with brand new Ferraris. So there's that, and I'd like to see Doug top that. Anyways, I want to let you guys know a little bit about what we're going to do this morning, because it can be a little bit different, not crazy different, but just a bit different. Uh, the approach this morning is uh, basically going to kind of break this morning down into kind of three segments, two in a way, but three. First of all, I just want to share with you guys a little bit from my heart in respect to some things that are going on around FBC here. Uh, So if you're new or visiting here, some of this might be, it's kind of church business stuff, might be a little bit, uh, you know, weird too, but um, it's kind of about where we're headed and stuff, so it might be interesting to know where we're headed as a church. I want to share with you about that for a few minutes. Uh, Then I want to just kind of talk about maybe a little bit of my thought process, my... um, I guess my preface for how I arrived at what I'm going to be talking about this morning, and then just want to teach for a little bit uh, on my topic. So those are kind of, that'll kind of be the breakdown of this morning, and uh, hopefully it goes uh, really well. Uh, you've heard the saying, uh, there's more than one way to skin a cat, and it is very true. There are multiple different ways, uh, I've heard, that you can remove uh, the skin from precious little fluffy, if you so desire. Um, and although there are very varying techniques in different ways, uh, if done well, all of them should have the same result, and that's a delicious meal for your family, right? Um, we believe that's the same. The same is true uh, for when it comes to church leadership as a staff and our, our board here as a church. As we lead FBC, we believe that there are different uh, ways that you can lead a church and different decisions that you can make in different directions. Um, that being said, we're pretty passionate about thinking ahead about the direction we take and thinking about how we skin the cat that is uh, FBC. Um, we want to be a church that is central completely on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is all about what the Bible teaches, and that is the bottom line for everything that we do. That being said, we don't want to just haphazardly throw out the teachings of Jesus or the gospel and just do some programs and randomly hope that stuff happens. Our desire is to always be as strategic as we can. In fact, most of us uh, on staff are headed down to Atlanta tomorrow. Um, It's one of the, like, real, like, hard, you know, bearing our cross parts of the job. We're going to Atlanta for a week, um, but we're going to this thing called the Orange Conference. We've been before. It's awesome, and it's all about uh, strategic leadership within the context of church, because there are more than one way to skin a cat, but we want to choose an effective way and be concise in the way that we pursue that. 
Now, uh, I mention that because although, since that's our desire, there are always some big decisions to be made uh, as you move forward as a church. And I appreciate the importance of making strategic decisions and having some vision for the future moving forward in that way, even sometimes when it's difficult. Because as an example, uh, we enjoy getting to get together as a church in this building and do church community in some pretty cool ways. Um, and that is, has nothing to do with me. You know, about 40 years ago, some people got together, they had some strategy, some vision, they thought into the future, and they thought, 40 years from now, we wanna make this possible for people to be able to do church in an awesome community, which I'm very thankful for. I don't even know most of the people who made the sacrifices and put in the work and made the tough decisions and fundraised and all the things, picked out the pew colors together, all the things that you know go into building a church building. Uh, but I'm very thankful that they did. Uh, some of you probably know where this is going already. We're at a bit of a, a bit of a juncture as a church. Uh, last Sunday, the uh, board had this meeting after second service, and they just kind of presented a little bit about where we're at as a church. And while we're very thankful that four decades ago some people got together and did what it took to make this building so we can have it, they started outlining some of the issues and the constraints that we have, partially because of an aging building, some other factors, a lot of that to do with limits of space. You might look around and see some empty seats and say, oh, you know, there's still some room to grow, uh, but definitely if you're one of our FBC Kids volunteers, or if you're here on a busier Sunday, or if you come late for second service and you're looking for a spot to park, or if you're an FBC Youth volunteer, you, you are very aware of some of the issues that we're running up against as a church, and we're hoping that those issues only start to become more and more difficult as more people uh, come out to FBC. So they presented some of the issues, and they presented that they have been doing tons of research over the years and uh, meeting together and praying together and, and trying to decide what makes the most sense to strategically move forward as a church. We're not hoping to just go into survival mode as FBC and say, hey, we've kind of hit our cap, you know, buildings decaying, we're running out of space, let's just uh, go into, you know, let's just plateau and go into cruise control. We want to keep growing. And so uh, they presented the research that they've done into like renovating this place, basically like redoing this place or rebuilding this site or rebuilding on a new site. And they presented uh, what they think is the approach that makes sense most for FBC now and FBC moving now and investing into the far future for FBC long after we're all gone. And they proposed that as a church, we start looking towards uh, building a new building uh, in a new location. The location hasn't been picked, but somewhere where we can do that and we can build something that will invest well and strategically into the future. And I want to quickly say, if you were at the meeting last week, you heard the board talk about it. I want to quickly say on behalf of the staff, we support that vision. That's also where we're at as well. And Part of the reason for that is because, you know, we want to keep growing as a church. We want to keep doing what we're doing. It's exciting that we've grown, but we don't want to just be like, okay, this is great, we've grown, let's stop here. We want to look forward into the future. We want to look forward at what's to come. And, and there isn't only one option, but this is the one that we've, we believe and the board believes is the one that makes the most sense for our future. And we look ahead and we, we want to look at, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. And 50 years from now, it's my hope, first of all, that FBC still exists, the FBC, I hope that 50 years from now, FBC is 10 times the size that it is now. I hope that 50 years from now, uh, FBC is reaching more people with the gospel than we could have ever imagined possible. I hope 50 years from now, FBC has enough money to finally buy haircuts for its staff. Um, talking about Doug, obviously, not me. We hope that in 50 years, this is a thriving community that is continuing to fill the mission of this church. And I'm assuming that you guys hope that as well. Uh, so the board is suggesting this approach, and uh, as a staff, we are totally behind it. 
the board is, has, has sent out a survey. You don't have to be a member to vote on this survey. Uh, they're asking every individual to vote. So not just, oh, if you're married, just one of you vote for both, both of you, but every single person to vote. We want as many votes as possible to know where we're at a church, if we support this vision, if we can move forward. Because there are gonna be some big questions and we wanna kinda know who's on board. Uh, so if you, uh, if you go on our website under the contact tab or if you go on the FBC app under the engage tab, you'll find this building plan survey. If you're at the meeting and you already know the deal, you can go fill out that survey right now. I'm not going to be bothered if you're doing that while I'm talking. Um, on there, if you weren't at the meeting, there's a link to the video so you can see the building survey through, our, uh, uh, through the video there. It's on our YouTube channel. You can watch that and then you can know what you're voting on there. Um, I suggest you don't watch that video during the service unless you've got earbuds. Um, but you can feel free to vote, or else after the service, we've got a voting table out there. You can do it by card. It's just like a couple simple questions, and the board is just wanting to know who's on board. And we're asking everyone to vote, so we kind of know where people are at, but also the board is saying that if they don't have at least 200 votes, which I think is pretty low because there are far more than 200 people in here, uh, but if we don't have at least 200 votes, every vote under that, they'll just count as a no. So your silence is a vote as a no, so just so you know that. So they want everyone to vote. You don't have to be a member. And I want you to know that we're open to any questions you might have about that. We don't have all the answers. There are going to be some big questions. I know building a new building is crazy. There's like money, there's the time, there's the difficulty, all the transition and, and that. But we believe that these questions are small in comparison to who our God is and the mission that he's given us as a church. Our mandate to reach Lloyd Minster with the gospel is small in comparison to some of the bridges that we're going to have to cross as we move forward as a church. They'll be difficult and they'll be real and we'll try to do that with as much wisdom as we can. But we believe that God is, is big and that he's going to take us to some amazing places. We need your voice because as a staff and a board, we are like less than 20 people. And there are a lot more of you than that. So please vote. Um, after the service in the conference room this week and next week, the board is going to be there to answer questions. Staff is always available if you want to contact us uh, anytime. And beyond all that, I uh, want you to vote. want you guys to watch the video if you haven't seen it and stuff like that. Uh, we want you guys to pray for us. Uh, James 1 says that if you pray and ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you. Please be praying for us. Staff as we're at the Orange Conference, but all of us as we continue as church leadership to try to move forward and strategically lead FBC uh, in a positive direction that will continue to make God's name known in Lloydminster. So that is my aside for segment one, segment two, and then which will lead into segment three. So every once in a while uh, at FBC, we have a Sunday that's kind of between series, and as a staff, we call it a one-off. Um, and uh, when you get to preach on a one-off, for me, it's a little bit exciting because it's like, uh, you know, I can preach on whatever I want. I can get up here and talk about whatever I can, anything in the Bible, anything in the world, whatever. Like, the world is my oyster. But then when I think about that, it kind of gets overwhelming because I'm like, man, that is a big oyster. You know, I don't even like oysters that much, especially the raw ones. One the size of the world, that'd be just stinky and gross, and I, I don't want that. It's overwhelming. So what I did was I, I started thinking, I was like, I want something like, I want something like really neat and like unique, you know? Like, so, you get up and people be like, man, do you hear Ryan talk about that? That was so cool. So I actually like Googled, this is like honest confession, I Googled least preached on passages in the Bible, because I was thinking, you know, whatever other people aren't preaching about, I'm going to do that. And if I had gone with that... I would be preaching on Obadiah this morning, and some of y'all are maybe like, Oba what? It is in there. Um, you can go home and read it. But as I thought about it, I started praying about it more. I was like, God, I don't want this to be about me. I want it to be something that's helpful, and I hope that what I've arrived at is helpful this morning. And I actually think that what I'm talking about in some ways is something that has become kind of obscure to a lot of us as, as Christians nowadays and churches nowadays, 
but I don't think it should be. It's not like a one-chapter book in the middle of the Bible. This is a theme that's primary throughout the whole of the Bible. And I think it's unfortunate that we've approached it with so much obscurity. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit of my thought process to arriving at you know, what I think the problem is with how we approach this. Um, in our world, there are a lot of different churches. You've probably noticed in, F- in Lloydminster, there are, there's more than one church. FPC isn't the only one. There are several. And in bigger cities, there are actually even more churches there are, than there are in Lloydminster, if you can imagine that. And there are different types of churches. They're very different. They have different personalities and kind of cultures and uh, these things that we call denominations, which are kind of like corporations or franchises of churches around the world. And a lot of times, I think people kind of um, have a negative view on the fact that there are different churches and different denominations. And we talk about a lack of unity, but I I actually kind of celebrate that in some ways. I I think it's really good that we're building different kind of church homes and church families that are a good fit for different people, whether you're, you know, unique based on your culture, your demographic. You know, we're not all the same person, and FBC might not be the exact church home for every single person in the world, and I think that that's okay. But a lot of denominations, what they differ on are what we call secondary theological ideas. So most Christian churches, they take the Bible and they take the main and plain primary teachings of the Bible, and we agree on that. But then there are some secondary things. And some Christians, they, they, they get these secondary ideas about how it works, and they, they believe that they are very right, and they get kind of like, I don't know, arrogant or judgmental. Or they're right, everyone else is wrong. And I think that's a really unhealthy way to approach that. We serve a God who is enormous and, and glorious and mysterious in some ways. And just none of us have it all figured out. And I think it's kind of okay that we're diverse in some of our secondary theology. And I'll give you some examples of what I think that looks like. So first of all, in theology itself, our understanding of who God is, the Bible is very clear that God created everything, that God created the universe. And you're not going to go to many churches that are going to disagree with that. However, you will go to different churches or talk to different Christians who will disagree on some of the secondary ideas. Some people will think that God created the world like six or 7,000 years ago. Some people will think that God created the world billions of years ago. And these are both views, I know some of these might be triggers for some people, but these are both views that Christians can hold. You know, people argue about even the shape of earth nowadays. And it's okay, you can believe in the God that created the universe and not have it perfect in all the secondary things. Uh, you know, another branch of theology is what we call soteriology, and it's the kind of the understanding and the study of salvation, what it looks like to be saved by God. Um, the Bible is clear, and Christian churches will agree that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ because of his finished work on the cross. You're not going to go to a lot of churches that disagree with that, and if you do, I would recommend choosing a different one. But... Some churches will boldly teach that it is the Holy Spirit that works on you to be saved, that the Holy Spirit reaches out, and you have no choice. God chooses who will be saved and who will not, and the Holy Spirit works on you and saves you, and you have no choice in the matter. Whereas some Christians teach that the Holy Spirit reaches out, and you choose to reach back or not, and that you actually have some say in the matter. Both Christian views. Uh, When it comes to eschatology, it's the branch of theology that deals with the end times or like the afterlife, eternity. You know, the Bible's very clear that if you believe in Jesus, you spend eternity with him, and that one day Jesus is going to return. However, Christians have different ideas about whether or not you can know when he might come back, or if there are signs about when he might come back, or if this thing called the rapture exists, or you know, those kinds of things, how soon it will happen, how soon it won't, those kinds of things. And it's okay for people to be Christians on both sides of that in the secondary categories. When it comes to ecclesiology, that's another branch of theology that talks about the theology or understanding of how church works. The Bible's very clear 
The church is important. It's Jesus' body here on earth. It's his bride. It's how he works here on earth. And I know this is a lot of like Bible nerdy stuff, but I promise it's going somewhere that's uh, very, I hope, applicable. Ecclesiology, I mean, we believe the Bible teaches the church is so important that you should be committed, you should be involved in a faith community. However, people disagree about what that looks like. Some people believe that the board should lead the church. Some people believe that uh, the staff should lead the church. Some people believe that the congregation should vote on everything and lead the church. People disagree about how much money you should give to the church or shouldn't give to the church. Uh, People argue about whether or not women should be allowed to teach and preach or not. And I think one of the problems when it comes to a lot of these things is a lot of us don't like the debate or we don't like the varied views in the secondary theology, and so we retreat from thinking about it at all. I love secondary theology because it always pushes me towards the primary thing. I don't have to have all the nuances of how God created the world figured out, but the more I study and think about my secondary opinions, it points me towards the creator God who created the universe and said it was good and loves his creation. The more I think about how church should run and what a biblical view of that is, the more it pushes me to understand the importance of the church and focus on the primary. And I think a lot of times when we see the secondary views and we see people disagree, we see that they're different denominations, what it makes us do sometimes is kind of retreat from the primary because we're like, I, I just can't figure it out. Or I don't like it when people disagree or, or I don't know what it is. Or sometimes we get so distracted by the secondary that we forget about the primary. And one area that I think we do this a lot is something called pneumatology. And that is the study and the understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Now, I say that I think we should have a lot of respect on both sides of the debate, and I say that very, very honestly. My dad, I've referenced him before, is one of my greatest heroes of the faith. And my dad and I would have very different opinions on secondary theology when it comes to pneumatology, when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to the primary concerns, we agree 100%, because we believe that the Bible teaches some central things. And I think with pneumatology, when I think when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we get so distracted by the, peop- the fact that people have these secondary opinions and secondary ideas, and it's too overwhelming to figure it out, that we just retreat and we forget to focus on the primary of who the Holy Spirit is. I think as a reaction, some churches you know, are accused of focusing on the Holy Spirit too much. They pursue the gifts or the manifestations or, or, or the outworking of the Holy Spirit, and people say they do that too much. And then people would accuse other churches, and probably we'd fall more into this category as FBC, as, as, as not being like that, but so much so that we almost act like the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. And we don't want to be a church that falls into that. We don't, we don't, we don't want to bolster that stereotype. So this morning... I want to discuss with you guys some primary stuff, ignoring some of the secondary stuff, about who the Holy Spirit is in Scripture, because I believe he has talked about all throughout Scripture, and I have two objectives in view with this, and if you're taking notes in the bulletin, here are some notes coming up, or in the app notes, and my two objectives this morning is that as we discuss the Holy Spirit and look at what Scripture says about him, that it will A, help you understand your identity in Christ, and that it will B, help you understand your ability in Christ. Like I said, I know some of this has been kind of Bible nerdy and stuff like this. This is kind of just my exposition for how I've arrived at this and why I'm passionate about returning to some of the primary areas of who the Holy Spirit is. And I hope that it will move you to understand these two things on a newer level as you continue to pursue God through the Holy Spirit. Uh, Let me just pray and uh, then we'll continue on. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your spirit and thank you that you have relationship with us, God. I pray that as we dig in, that you would unlock our identity and our ability in you, and that you would continue to move us to know you on a deeper level than we ever have before. We love you so much, God. Amen. 
I don't know if you've ever uh, tried to describe something that you don't really understand. Like someone's asking you a question and, you know, we're really naive, so we don't want to admit that we don't know. Or people talk about things, we just like pretend we know things. I, I'm sure we've all done that. Um, one of my, I know I have lots of examples from my life, but one of my favorite examples is from The Lion King. Uh, if you guys remember the scene where like Timon, uh, Pumbaa, and Simba are laying looking at the stars. And Pumbaa's like, Timon, what are the stars? And Timon... Of course, he wants to pretend he knows everything. So he says, well, they're lightning bugs that are just stuck up on that black thing up there. And Puma's like, oh, I thought they were burning balls of gas like billions of miles away. Timon's like, that's ridiculous. Come on. I think we do that a lot. You know, people are like, oh, you know this song? You're like, yeah, I totally know that song. Or people ask you questions, especially when someone younger asks you, and you, you start saying things that kind of make sense and feels right, and eventually you realize you're kind of painting yourself into a corner there. I think a lot of times we approach the Holy Spirit kind of ambiguously like this. We don't really know a lot of hard facts about who he is. We don't have a kind of a solid primary understanding. So when we talk about him, we kind of just say whatever kind of makes sense in the context. I think one of the biggest misunderstandings we have of the Holy Spirit and of who God is, is we view God as very chronological. Now, FBC, if you've been here for a while, you know that we passionately believe that our God is expressed through something called the Trinity, that he's a triune God, that it's three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, expressed in one being that makes up the Godhead. You'll know that that's what we believe, and most Christian churches hold to that ideal, this, this idea, this idea of the Trinity. Um, but I think what happens in Christian churches is we practice something that people, I believe, would call modalism, where we believe that God shows up in the Old Testament, and things don't go that well, so he kind of steps back, and then Jesus shows up. It's Jesus' turn, and then, you know, he does his stuff, and then he leaves, and then the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of chronological, like they're taking turns. And I think that's not a very helpful view of who the Holy Spirit is. And I think a lot of times we do that because we look at Acts 1 and 2, and you can read about the Holy Spirit there, and we kind of think that's the advent of the Holy Spirit. But I think we miss out on his work throughout the entirety of Scripture. And I want to draw you guys to the very first two verses of Genesis. You look at Genesis 1, 1, 2. I mean, you know this passage. But check this out. Before Jesus is ever mentioned, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness is over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I love this imagery of the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And I want to invite you to maybe right now just envision, draw some kind of picture of what that looks like in your mind, that that the earth was formless and void. It was darkness. It was empty. And the Spirit of God is hovering over the water. Sometimes when I think about it, I get this like vast, infinite ocean with just these rippling waves and this glassy water with midnight darkness over it. And God's Spirit is in it all. Or sometimes I get this more chaotic picture of just this swirl of darkness and water all over the place swirling, and and God's spirit is kind of chaotically intertwined in all of it. And I don't know what your picture is, but I want to invite you to picture that because I think that's a really helpful picture of how God expresses himself through his spirit. That is, God continues to speak and create in the creation account of Genesis 1 that God's spirit hovers above his creation, that God's spirit is literally touching, is in contact with that which he creates. And I can't read Genesis 1, 1 and 2 without immediately having my mind jump to the start of the New Testament, an account that you find in a lot of the Gospels. We look at Mark 1, 9 to 11, where Jesus is baptized. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open And the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my Son, whom I love. 
And with you, I am well pleased. I can't read Genesis 1, 2, 1 and 2 where I get this picture of God's spirit hovering above the waters without thinking about Jesus' baptism where Jesus comes up out of the water and God's spirit is still hovering above the waters. You know, where God creates and his spirit hovers and then through baptism, Jesus recreates and God's spirit still hovers above the waters. And he says, you're my son with whom I am well pleased. In Hebrew and Greek, um, the main the main words you'll find throughout the Old Testament and New Testament in Hebrew and Greek for uh, spirit in reference to the Holy Spirit is in Greek, ruach. You need to kind of be sick and phlegmy to pronounce that well. And in Greek, pneuma, which is where we get the word uh, pneumatology from, which you probably could have guessed. And these words, uh, you know, they have a reference to, you know, this aspect of, you know, God, the Holy Spirit, and the Trinity. But they have uh, some other, like, kind of loaded meaning and connotation. Some of the best understood meanings of these are, are breath, or wind, or aura, or energy. And it sounds kind of new agey, but I, I love it. I love when I think about the creation account, and God breathes life, speaks life into his creation, that he's literally breathing his spirit out, and his spirit pours out, and, and not just creates from a distance, but is interconnected to that which he is knitting together and creating. How God's spirit is energy that, that, that fills and energizes that which God creates and that which God does here on earth. If you read Romans 8, 11, it tells you that the Holy Spirit is the energy, the power force that raised Jesus from the dead after he was crucified. But as a follower of Jesus, that Holy Spirit dwells within you. That energy, that wind, that breath of God, God's aura dwelling within you. Like I said, there are a lot of secondary views that people talk about, about you know, how the Holy Spirit should be pursued and expressed within church. And I, I think knowing about that is, is helpful. And I lo- like I said, I love secondary theology. If you ever want someone to nerd out with on that kind of stuff, uh, my door is always open. But I want to focus on some primary things that I think will truly move us to understanding better our identity and our ability in Christ. The Holy Spirit exists throughout the entire Bible. And there's tons in the Old Testament. But most of the Old Testament is expressed through narratives. You know, in Genesis, you can find where Joseph is interpreting dreams by the work of the Holy Spirit. You can read the book of Judges, where judges are doing amazing things. You know, there's this, there are these guys that are crazy warriors, and, and they're filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can read about the prophets in the Old Testament who are, you know, able to speak into the future, say what's going to happen, because the Holy Spirit gives them that ability and that power. The New Testament, on the other hand, is, 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 has a lot more teaching, so we're going to focus more on the Scripture from the New Testament, not to forsake the Old Testament ones, but just to look at some more straightforward uh, teachings. Uh, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture this morning. There will be a lot of references up there. We're not going to read it all, so I'd encourage you to either take a picture of the slides or write it down. Go home, read the stuff, study it, and just fall in love with the person of the Trinity that I think that we often forget Uh, to focus on uh, a lot as Christians. So I want to teach you guys, I want to talk about three primary things that I think that the Holy Spirit does within the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. And I think hopefully these will help you, like I said, understand better your uh, identity and ability in Christ as a follower. So first of all, the Holy Spirit enables. So at FBC, we encourage people to think in. And so what we're saying is we want you to engage personally with God. But we believe that that is only possible because of who the Holy Spirit is and that he makes that possible. 
I think one of the struggles we have with understanding who the Holy Spirit is is a lot of times we read the Bible and we see all these narratives about who God is, we see narratives about who Jesus is, and the Holy Spirit, we don't see him directly show up in a lot of the narratives. But what we forget is that the Holy Spirit is that personal touch of God expressing himself and interacting with his creation and working throughout his narratives. So when you read the narratives of God, you're, you're reading a narrative of how he expresses himself through his Holy Spirit and works with and contends with his people. If you're sitting here this morning and in your life you're enjoying relationship with God, that's only possible because the Holy Spirit made that connection possible. It's only possible because the Holy Spirit descended on you and hovered above you as, as, as he does above the waters in Genesis 1, 1 and 2 and makes that possible. Look at a few passages that talks about how the Holy Spirit enables us to experience relationship with God. Uh, John 14, 26 tells us the Holy Spirit teaches us and he gives us the knowledge of who God is. Similarly, John 15, 26 says that the Holy Spirit testifies to us about who Jesus is and about his teachings and his work. John 16, 8 to 11 talks about how the Holy Spirit is, uh, is that which convicts us of sin. It's not like you woke up one day and you're like, man, I think I'm sinful and I should change my life and repent to Jesus Christ. The, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the only one that initiates that within you and, and that happens, that conviction of sin, that drive towards repentance is because of the work of the Holy Spirit within you. Romans 5.5 5 says that God's love is poured out to us through his Holy Spirit. Similarly, 1 Corinthians 12.3 says that we're able to claim Jesus as the Lord of our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. That The Holy Spirit is literally the conduit through which God interacts with us in that relationship, that ability to think in and engage personally with God becomes possible. Titus 3.5 says this, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is because the Holy Spirit has given you the opportunity to be rebirthed into relationship with God. I think about it like a car without gas. You know, a car without gas is pretty useless. Uh, you know, or if your cell phone, if your battery dies, it's pretty useless. You can't call anyone. You can't do anything with it. You know, it's, it's like someone trying to know God without allowing the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. It's impossible. You can't go anywhere. But when you plug in the phone, when you put gas in the car, that's when you actually have the ability and the opportunity and you're enabled to initiate that relationship. The second element that I want to talk about the, of the work of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit equips. I, I love in the creation account how it just, I love this picture about the Spirit hovering over God's creation. You know, God's creating and the Holy Spirit is in it all. He's in the mix. He's in the mess of the creation. He's in the formless, dark void hovering over the waters. And then I think about that picture and the way that God created me. That when he created me, he wasn't just creating from a distance. He wasn't just throwing out orders, but that his spirit descended and hovered above me and helped piece me together. And the Bible talks about gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us that we're born with, these, and it, it calls them spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. You can read about these, and I'd encourage you to, in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. These spiritual gifts, it talks about some of them are like hospitality, leadership, faith, wisdom, uh, mercy, you know, generosity, things like that. These aren't just because your parents raised you well enough or just because you, know, you watched enough documentaries to know how to be a good human being. These are because the Holy Spirit has gifted you in these ways. And to better understanding those gifts, you should better understand who the Holy Spirit is and how he's gifted you. If you don't really know what your spiritual gifts are, 
I'd encourage you, if you've never done one, go online, just Google spiritual gifts test. You'll find a bunch. They're free. And, and take 10, 15 minutes to fill out a test, and you'll find out what your spiritual gifts are. And from there, you can say, okay, here are some gifts that I need to work on. You know, don't just be like, oh, I'm not good at generosity. Perfect. I can uh, just keep everything to myself. But you can figure out some things you need to work on. But you can also see, man, these are some cool gifts that God's given me where I'm strong. And learn how to better serve people around you. Learn how to better serve your family. Doug was talking about joining our summer squad here at FBC. We have tons of opportunities to serve the church, which Jesus is so passionate about. We'd love to hear what your spiritual gifts are and figure out how we can help you put those to practice, help you understand those and grow in those as you serve at FBC. So while you're on the app or on our website voting in the survey, go to the serve tab or under the engage tab, hit the serve thing. Just fill it out really quickly. We'd love to connect with you about what you can do to use your spiritual gifts. Don't let your spiritual gifts go to waste. But not only does the Holy Spirit gift you and equip you through creation by giving you gifts, the Holy Spirit continues to equip you and teach you and illuminate you by helping you grow and train and become more who God created you to be. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love it. Like I said, God's spirit, those words, I mean, you know, breath, wind. The breath of God pours out and scripture comes to life. We don't just encourage you guys to read the Bible so that you can know more about God and and be smart, but so that you can experience the breath of God that created you, filling your life and continuing to equip you for every good work. God doesn't just say, hey, you've come into relationship with me. Here's some good works to do. Have at it. He says, let me help you. Let me train you. Let me equip you. Last week, Doug's message uh, in our Share Your Story series about how to share your story, uh, first of all, he, he had an awesome treatment of the passage in John 4. It was so practical and so good. It was one of my favorite messages I've ever heard on that passage, and I've heard uh, quite a few. I loved it. But his first point was that when we're going out to share our story, when we're going out to think out in the ways that uh, we're called to as Christians, that we shouldn't just like go out and you know, try to make it happen on our own, but we should pray and ask the Holy Spirit to equip us and to lead us and to guide us. And the amazing thing is that he will. That's literally one of his jobs. And he will do that for you. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit empowers. The Holy Spirit doesn't just enable you to have a relationship with God and then equip you with the gifts to do the job, but he also empowers you to put those gifts into practice and to go out and do good works. You can see this in Acts 4.8. Peter preaches boldly by the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 4.31, other Christians, similarly to Peter, preach boldly because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They have power that they didn't have before because of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15.13 talks about how by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're filled with, we can experience joy and peace and hope. 2 Timothy 1, 6-7 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. God doesn't expect you to just be powerful and brave because you're so great. He, he gives you that opportunity by filling you with his spirit. Similarly, you've probably read this, Acts 1, 8. You, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit coming, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think we sometimes read the Bible and we talk about, or we read about Bible characters going and talking about God and we just think that somehow they were magically like brave and it wasn't awkward in their day to bring up stories about Jesus and and about how God had changed their life. I don't think that's the case. I think they probably felt just as awkward and probably a little bit more scared because it was life-threatening. But it wasn't about them. 
It's about the work of the Holy Spirit through them. The Holy Spirit is the game changer in our experience of who God is in our lives. He enables, he equips, and he empowers us. He makes relationship with God possible. He gives us the tools that we need to do the good works that God's called us to, and then he empowers us to be able to carry out those good works. And that's amazing. I want to share with you guys a, kind of a funny story about my past. Uh, if you guys were here two weeks ago, you heard a bunch about my story. And I grew up uh, going, my dad was a pastor, and so I, I went to Christian schools and all that. And when you go to Christian school, uh, you have to take Bible class. Now, if you're here for my story, you'll know that I was not into the Bible or church or things like that. I thought it was really lame and boring, and so I hated Bible class. It was probably tied for worst with, like, social studies uh, for me. Sorry if there are any history teachers out there, but um, I hated it. In grade 10, I had a, I had a seat in the back because we had assigned seatings, and I played Pokemon every morning during Bible class on my Game Boy under my desk. I, I couldn't stand Bible class. Anyways, in grade 9, I was in Bible class, and uh, at the end of the first half of the year, like the, when we got our report cards after uh, first semester, uh, my report card came home, and I had a whopping uh, 40% in Bible's cl- Bible class. Now, my dad was a pastor, and so the pastor's kid was failing Bible class, had the lowest mark in the grade, and so my parents were obviously very thrilled, so they rewarded me with uh, as some number of weeks of grounding, obviously. And so I remember thinking, all right, second semester, I need to do a little bit better. The pastor's kid should be able to at least pass Bible class. And so I decided I'm going to work a little bit harder. I'm going to pull up my socks, and I'm going to dig in, and I'm going to pass Bible class. Um, but if you know anything about me when I was a teenager, you'll probably know that I did not do that. I continued to perform in the same ways I did in Bible class, and my year just carried out as it was. And so at the end of the second semester, I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was going to fail Bible class. I was going to be in trouble. And so what I decided to do, this was before I was a Christian, and what I decided to do is I snuck into my teacher's classroom during exam week when there weren't very many people around. Now, I'm not super old, but I'm old enough that they used to keep marks when I was in junior high in books, like they weren't using computers yet. So I found his mark book, and I went in, and I changed all my marks. And it was pretty easy, because a lot of them were just blank, so I just put marks in. <laughs> and I passed grade 9 Bible class with like a 60 or 70% average, which I think is pretty good. Now, I think God's got a pretty good sense of humor because I'm the kid that couldn't even pass grade nine Bible class, and now here I am, the guy who's every second Sunday at FBC and Lloyd up here talking about the Bible and teaching about who Jesus is. And I say that story, it's kind of a funny story, I say that story because that kid in grade nine, that's actually who I am. That's actually Ryan. That's a sinful, struggling, broken human being trying to do life on my own. The only reason I'm able to do any of what I'm doing is because the Holy Spirit has enabled me and equipped me with gifts and given me the power I need to use them. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can work in your lives in powerful, powerful ways. And that's the, that you have access to that power, to that identity, to that ability in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because left to my own devices, I'm a kid that can't pass grade nine Bible class. But because of the work of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to offer something that I hope serves our church community well. Uh, I find it very encouraging. Sometimes people will come up to me, and I'm not trying to solicit whatever, but people come up to me on a Sunday and say, hey, that was a great message. That helped me out. Thanks a lot. And I'm very thankful for that encouragement, but I got a laugh inside because I'm like, man, like I couldn't pass grade nine Bible, you know? 
People are like complimenting me on the artwork of God. This is him. This is his power. And that's the opportunity that we all have to experience God and to live for him and accomplish good works for him. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit living in you, you are an amazing and powerful being. And that's not some like feel-good message to kind of pump your tires. But that is all about who Jesus is. I think when we look at ourselves, we so often just look at ourselves on the surface. Sometimes we're insecure because we have a low view. Sometimes we're arrogant because we have a high view of who we are. But I'd encourage you to look past yourself. It's not about your identity or your ability in in of who you are, but it's about your identity and ability in Christ and in who the Holy Spirit has made you to be. And I think that if we all embrace that, our identity and our ability in the Holy Spirit, who enables us, equips us, and empowers us, it'll be a game changer. I think we could totally change this community together. It's got to be possible. Usually at this point, I'd pray and uh, say goodbye to you guys, but I want to go a little bit old school and send you guys off uh, with a blessing. So as you go this week, may the Holy Spirit hover above the waters of your life May heaven be torn open as God sends his spirit descending on you like a dove in power and smiles kindly at you and says, you are my child with whom I am well pleased. Thank you guys so much for being here, and I'll see you in two weeks at Pitch In Week. Have a great week.